Welcome to Chapels from Rosedale Bible College. Thanks for joining our community for weekly chapels recorded on our campus in Rosedale, Ohio. We hope you are challenged and inspired by what you hear. Enjoy. We were talking this morning about is God on a mission? Uh, as you, you're well aware, we're, we're thinking about uh, mission. Mission is something you accomplish, right? Mission is something that, that you think uh, there's a way to tell when you're, when, you've, when you're done, right? Most of the time when you're on a mission, you feel like you can tell when you're finished. You think God can tell when he's finished? How's he, how's he going to do that? Well, we, we go to the end of the Bible and try to figure it out from that, and we have a hard time doing that because that's a complicated book at the end of the Bible. Some complicated things don't let anybody tell you otherwise. It's not, not simple in my view. But you've got professors here that can make it all sound simple, I'm sure. I should come back and find out how they do that. But... Uh, speaking of mission being something you can accomplish, oh, that's been one of the frustrating things about what we call being a missionary. Because missionaries are supposed to get it done. They're supposed to have a way of telling when they're finished. Now, now as, as one who's been called a missionary and a church planner and a pastor in another setting, I get frustrated with that. Because all the pastors back home, they don't have any way to tell when they're done with their job, do they? I don't know. There's, maybe there's none here. But nobody, at, nobody, nobody, nobody says that to the local pastor down the street. Are you done yet? Did you get your mission accomplished? I got asked that a lot of times. And we were, we were in a setting where things were, where people valued long-term relationships. And we tried the, the urgent thing. We tried in the 70s and 80s. I did a lot of study in missiology. I, I told you this morning I don't have a degree, but that doesn't mean I didn't study. I took extension courses. I even had... Uh, a year on campus doing master's level stuff in missiology and anthropology. Now you're at least a little impressed. But I, didn't, I never got a degree in it, but I did study. I did, I did try to learn. And, but <laughs> I, had a, I had one friend in particular who was actually a financial supporter some of the time, but he kept, he kept poking at me as the years went on Aren't you done yet? Was, was kind of the message. Haven't you completed your mission yet? And that was kind of frustrating. But that's really not your problem. It's just another reason for you not to be a missionary. And uh, it's another reason for you not to do something that other people measure in some way. I'm partly kidding. But when we, when we think about God and mission... Uh, we think about things that that 
are, are doable, things that have an outcome that, that we all think is worth the effort. So I'm trying to help you think about that because the word mission and the word gospel, the idea of mission and gospel, those are sort of part of the same package. They're part of the same way we talk about missions at a missions week. And tonight I may, I may stir more questions than answers for sure. Remember, I, I encourage you that um, a list of certainties is not, is not all that we're after. We need some certainties. That's why you guys recite the Apostles' Creed here this morning. You need some certainties. You've got to have a foundation. You've got to have a, a reference point. But there's a place where some of those certainties um, are better replaced by a pursuit of wisdom. And once again, don't, don't run off with everything I say or all the questions I place in your mind because some of them, you've already got some of these questions we're going to talk about in two particular areas. And it's just that not a lot of people my age admit they still have questions about some of that. But I just plain don't know on a couple things. And there, I mean, a couple more than a couple things. But uh, there, are, there are things that I'm still trying to understand and do better at being in sync with what God, the mission that God is on. That, that's the thing that I'm not satisfied with yet in myself. I'm not satisfied with being in sync with him all the time. I'm not satisfied with understanding all about how his, his mission originated. I'm not satisfied with even how I can explain the story that, that is supposed to attract people or uh, convict people or convince people or persuade them. I'm not always satisfied with that. Part of it is that in missions, especially, maybe more than in what, what other people call normal life or whatever, uh, we're always looking for that formula, that way of getting it done better, being more effective and more efficient. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to express some of my frustrations about that too. My frustration, when I express frustrations, I really hope that you don't take from that. Well, there's no real answer. He would already know it. The, the, what I hope you take from expressions of frustrations is these are questions. These are questions that I can pursue also. These are questions that I can also engage with and not just assume that there are really simplistic answers to all of, all of these things. So that was a longer introduction than I had planned on. There are, are parts of the biblical story and parts of the, the gospel story that I feel we easily misinterpret and then we misrepresent. When we misinterpret something, when we misunderstand something, we're going to misrepresent it when we retell the story, aren't we? That's just, that's the nature of 
of communication, understanding and communication. Reminds me of, of uh, is there a picture up there, black and white picture? Yeah. This is the building in which we had worship services all the time, and those are some of the people that were regulars. Those were some of the, especially the elderly ones. Doesn't mean they were all that age. It just, I just happened to catch this group outside. These are people who, who really were traditional. They were, they have none of these people ever been to school of any kind. None of these people could read. The oldest lady, I think she's in the very front, she was actually born in a birch bark teepee. That's how, that's how recently people lived like that. She's old. She's old in that picture, and she's been gone a long time. But that's how, that's how rapidly these people's cultures changed, and the stories changed, and, and the old stories continued. And, ah, I... I I don't know, I, there's no place to begin and end with illustrating how, how far their uh, worldview differed from the way I saw the world and how differently they looked at where information comes from and where trustworthy information comes from. So the man standing in this picture is a, a conversation I had with him illustrates part of the confusion or, or part of the way things can be confused with story and how easily, it, how easily we can misunderstand something or take a different understanding and run with it or have a different assumption. One, one time, it may well have been this very Sunday, I don't know, uh, one time I, after watching some uh, attempts at healing sick people and watching some of the interaction of, of practitioners and Christians and, uh, I, mean, I mean, traditional practitioners of healing and Christians and how some of that kind of mixed together sometimes. I, as an outsider who had only a partial understanding, I had a lot of concern about that. And so I taught... Uh, I taught a, a special teaching on, and this was what I was trying to communicate. As far from my perspective, the topic was this. When we want to consult spiritual help, when we want to try to get spiritual help from a being, from a spiritual being, we must be very careful that we don't get help from the wrong source. Does that make sense to all of you? We want to be very careful that we're praying in Jesus' name. We want to be very careful that we are actually asking God to help us and not being careless and getting help from other possible lesser spirits. That's what I was trying to, <clears throat> trying to communicate. One second here. And so, of course, I did a very good job at that, and I, and I gave my teaching. Well, there was something we did all the time. When, when the formal part of the service was over, we would sit there for up to an hour 
nobody was in any hurry to leave. We would just sit there, and sometimes the conversation would it'd be all over the place. It could be anything from explaining to me that the reason it's snowing today is because this guy shot at some wolves on the lake when we were out there yesterday, and he only wounded one, and that's why it's snowing today. Stuff like that came up right after the service. And, but this time, this man, he just sort of, uh, after we were done and we're sitting there, he said to me, um, yeah, he said, we have our ways of getting power. He said, you white people have ways of getting power too. And he said, you fly an airplane. I did, and he saw that I did. He said, you fly an airplane. And what he went on to say, I can't quote him exactly, and I wouldn't be able to, but what he went on to say was, anybody who can invent an apparatus like that has amazing spiritual power. And anybody who can fly something like that has amazing spiritual power. And there was nothing to say. Uh, maybe you'd have had an answer. But I'll tell you why there was nothing to say. Because for one thing, uh, I, didn't, I didn't grasp I, I needed time to think. I needed time to know what he was actually saying to me. And because they expect you to take story, they expect you to take uh, even indirect communication and figure out what, what they're trying to tell you. And so I took a long time to think about that. But the second reason that I had nothing to say was that there is no vocabulary whatsoever in Ojibwe to talk about aerodynamics. There's not even a word for air. Because air, you can't, there's nothing to talk about. Now, if there's wind, of course there's something to talk about. If there's breath, of course there's something to talk about. And there's vocabulary for, but to just talk about the, air and the properties of air and aerodynamics and a wing flying and a propeller pulling an airplane through it and how things fly, it's absurd in their language, totally absurd. In their worldview, everything we did and all of the of these people's worldview, not, not the younger generation necessarily, but these people's worldview, all of these amazing things, the lights and everything, that's the result of spiritual power. There's no other explanation for that in their, in their worldview. So uh, that's a, a long way of, of hopefully illustrating to you how that we can, depending on what we already think, depending on what's already in our minds, we can take very different meanings from the same stories. And this happens with scriptural stories. This happens a lot. And 
I hope that you are aware that your friends with different worldviews, and your friends with different backgrounds, and your friends from different parts of the world, it's not a matter of where there's a greater level of intelligence or a greater level of, of uh, in, in intellectual abilities or mental processes or anything like that. It's the differences come from when what we already think, what's already in our mind and our brain and how we interpret things. Now, this applies to you and me as well. Because we read the scriptures, we read the stories, for example, the story of, of the fall and the beginning of God's mission in Genesis, we read that with things in our heads already. We're already looking for things. We're already expecting things there because we've already, we, we have what we call preconceived ideas. We have assumptions. We have things that we're looking for. Or, that's one, one part of the Bible that I'm going to go to tonight. And the second part of the Bible I'm going to go to, and I hope I can make this not feel disjointed, is the, book, is the story of Jonah. There are two things there, that in, in, uh, in one in one and one in the other, that I'm trying to cram into one evening, because I don't have all semester to, to teach you all the stuff that this triggers in me, that these concerns trigger in me. But, so I'm going to try to uh, pile a few things together here tonight in a way that I hope makes some sense. And the primary thing I want you to do is develop a level of caution. I know you need confidence, but tonight I want to emphasize a level of caution on a couple things and some reconsideration when it comes to what we assume is God's mission and what triggered that mission, what, what fuels it, what drives it, and then our participation, which is the sharing of the gospel, what are, what are some things we need to be cautious about? And you might feel like tonight, but we're not telling, you're not telling us what you think we ought to do. That's tomorrow night. Tonight is not the, what we hope to improve on. Tonight is sort of a little bit of deconstruction or a little bit of warning at least about how easily we can tell the story differently because of what we expect and what we've kind of been conditioned and trained to see there. First of all, then, going to the first part of the Bible, I think I'm behind on my screens here. Is this a gospel simple? What, what's up? Yeah, okay. The story. The original, the, the story of the origins and the beginning of God's mission and, and humans and uh, the, whole, the whole Bible story, the gospel story. Is that simple or complex? And uh, you know how we people from, from at least from my uh, generation and culture and, and many of you as well, we like to make things about as complex as we can because that demonstrates how uh, 
intelligent we are and how able we are to get really deep into things. And, and then there's another way of seeing things, and we say, no, it's actually very simple. How many of you have heard the phrase that the gospel is really very simple? Have you heard that idea? How many of you have said, and you don't have to raise your hands. I hate when people make me raise my hand when I'm listening to somebody, so you don't have to actually do it. But how many of you have heard people say that understanding the Bible is actually very simple? You just read it and do it. Have you heard that? I'll bet you have. Just in the last few weeks, one of my friends posted on Facebook in response to someone else's comment. He said, it's very simple. And I thought, I'm not sure what Bible you have, but the one I have is not simple. That's why Rosedale Bible Institute or College exists, because the Bible is not simple. There are things that we might feel are simple and not complex. And many times we make things way more complex than maybe God intended. But this is, this, it's challenging stuff sometimes, isn't it? It's, that's why there are so many different perspectives on it. So my cautions for you tonight is uh, in some of these ways. I'm not going to try to make it sound simple. I've got to keep going. I for- All right. Help me out uh, again, Matt. When did we, we started at 7? I started when? 7.30? Was it 7.15? 16. 16. <laughs> so I've been going for 29 minutes already. We, man, we you Yeah, no, I'm not going to do that to you. I'll be asleep by then. I, I told more stories than I was planning to. Genesis 1 to 3 is, is a, a, a part of the Bible that you're familiar with. And we usually go there to talk about what we call the fall with a capital F, right? The, we, we talk about how, how God created things, how he brought order out of chaos, and then it seems like chaos returned. But in the meantime, uh, we, there's a lot of story there. And the, and the part that, that I hope we can, that I want to isolate, there's some few things I want to isolate out of that. Uh, it, is, it is really important that we go back to where God's mission began, if we're going to join him on that mission, we have to understand to some degree, and hopefully to a greater and greater degree, where that mission began, why he's on a mission. And uh, I can't do it justice tonight, but God has God saw a broad-based problem there, not an individual sin problem. That's, I'll just, to, in order to save some time, I'll, I'll cut to the chase kind of with what my concern is about our understanding about our sin problem. 
God was grieved when humans allowed a demon to convince them that they could control their God, to jump ahead in the story, to grab at things that God hadn't yet given them. That's, that's just a way to talk about something that maybe you haven't thought about. Sometimes our story is so, is so simplistic about the fall and, and the sin problem that, that what we isolate is that Adam sinned, he disobeyed God, he's a, he sinned, and so did Eve, and so they're guilty. And God has a problem because now he has people who have guilt and shame that they can't deal with. This is all true, but that's not, that's not the story. That's, uh, that's a partial interpretation of the story. And the best I can do for you tonight is plant a few seeds, I hope, and, and I'm sure you're familiar. I may not even be telling you anything you haven't thought about yet. But in the, in the, in the fall, am I on a screen that talks about the effects of the fall? All right. Pardon? Yeah. I, I believed you, but I had to see it. What I, want, what I want you to start thinking about, if you haven't already, is that the beginning of the story is not about personal sin, first of all. It's about a systemic and cosmic-wide issue. That's what, motive, that's what precipitated God's sense of mission. So if we, can, if we can just keep working, I'm sure you've had um, influence in that direction before, but if we can keep working at the idea that from the beginning, it's not about me first. It's not about me and my sin. It wasn't about Adam and his personal sin. We need a bigger understanding so that we have of the initial sense of mission, the initial problem, the initial sense of mission, so that we have a bigger understanding of what God is doing on mission in relation to that and what the gospel story is in relation to that. So if, if, I, if I fail in, in totally tying this together for you, I really hope that you are inspired to think carefully about the, the fact that it isn't all designed around the idea that Adam was guilty of sin and God is obligated to do something about that guilt. It is, it is more like, and, it is, and I, can't, I can't be the only voice to explain it all or to give you all the think about it, that you need to think about it, but it was the introduction of death, not just that, that someone died, because 
Nobody died on the spot, but it was the introduction of the reign of death, the power of death. It's the introduction of sin as an entity, as sin as a, as a controlling, ruling thing, cosmic level, world level, and it affects individuals, and it's the effect, it's the, it's the, it's the introduction of the rule of the devil in the kingdom of darkness and the rule of devil in death. And so um, I can see that you've had about enough of, of that topic, some of you. Um, but my, my hope is that as we think about what the good news is, we understand how God, what precipitated God's mission, and what he did or didn't do. Now, in comparison to how we tell the story or how, we, how, we some, how I've heard people talk about it, it's, it's maybe helpful to also think what God didn't say or didn't do. Uh, he, he didn't say, on that day that you eat of it, I will kill you. That's a, there's a big difference between saying, on that day that you eat it, you will die. That's a very different message than, and we need to give that a lot of, and I know you've given that a lot of thought, and you understand, that's a little different, it's a lot different than saying on that day I will kill you. Because God's introduction of death was not vengeance. It was not even primarily punishment. But it was possibly the best set of consequences he could give to people who had given their given their rule over to a demon, to a snake that could talk. You know, the Ojibwe, when they read that story, they're not surprised at all. All the people in their history could talk to animals, and the animals could talk back. It's not, it's not even a strange story. But for us, we're not quite sure to, what to do with that. Um, so it's... It, it, I, I hope to stimulate a, a new thinking about the origin of God's mission, a broader understanding of it, and how that story continues in the Old Testament, the continuing story. This is why the Old Testament, this is why as we better understand it, the Old Testament is not a bunch of false starts. It's a continuing story about God redeeming uh, restoring, intending to, to uh, demonstrate his character and to interact with his people. And God didn't say to Adam and Eve, wow, you really messed up my plans. Here I thought we had a really good thing going and we were going to just have a wonderful world. Now you guys messed me all up. Now I have to figure out what to do, even if it takes me the next 3,000 years to figure out what to do. That's not I can't imagine God feeling the sense of mission in that way. But this, the way of God creating a people in the Old Testament, a holy nation, a dwelling among his people with the explicit purpose of conquering the reign of the devil, the power of sin and death, the kingdom of darkness, which people are held captive. His desire, even in the Old Testament, was make possible for people to flourish in communion with him, to flourish with him uh, in, in relationship with him. 
So, uh, moving on quickly then, I can, I can see that I'm, I'm not going to get nearly through all of this. The second part of, uh, that I want to uh, caution us on is the, the way we tell the gospel or the, the, the way we talk about judgment in terms of how we communicate the gospel. God's judgment from the beginning was real and present and and part of his <clears throat> part of his plan but when we when we um, see our sin problem as the primary problem that we gave God that that God has a problem because we have a sin problem. Um, we get the we get the message kind. Of, we get the judgment thing kind of backwards. Let me let's jump ahead to Jonah. If if uh, I will just for a few minutes here, and we'll have to try to figure things out to finish up uh, tomorrow better. One of the questions that God asked Jonah twice in that story, you remember, uh, I, I know you know the story of Jonah and the whale or Jonah and the fish, but do you know the story of Jonah and Nineveh? That's a story we don't know quite as well, is the story of, of Nineveh, of Jonah, of God's compassion and grace, the judgment that was part of that, and how Jonah fit or didn't fit into God's character and his message there. Two times, uh, well, God called Jonah to go and pronounce judgment or give a message of judgment to Nineveh because he cared about them. The evil had risen up before God, it said. So it says, so God sent Jonah. Jonah was eager the second time was eager to call out judgment on Nineveh. And then an amazing thing happened, as you know. The people called on God. The people repented. The king led the way in responding to this, to God, in a, in a really humble and, and effective way. And God was merciful. God was gracious. God had compassion. And Jonah, who was so eager to see the judgment continue, was quite angry. And twice God asked him, do you do well to be angry? And, oh, I did this. I did that already, didn't I? Sorry, I'm missing. I'm getting confused on where I am with so. I'll go back one because I don't want to be there yet. God was asking Jonah, do you do well to be angry? Jonah was frustrated that his message of judgment wasn't being taken seriously and that God was actually making him out to be an inaccurate prophet. That was, a, that was a real problem for Jonah. 
And one of the things I've been concerned about sometimes is how that the message of the gospel can be reduced both to a personal sin problem and then the threat of judgment as the main attraction, the main um, reason for us, for our friends to, um, to accept our version of the gospel or to come to Jesus and be saved. It's a lot of different, a lot of different things that would attract people to, to be uh, uh, Christians. But some of the things that detract people from our message are things that we say and misrepresent. And that concerns me a lot. I have some atheist friends, a few, not, not a lot. But I have three particularly atheist friends. They're not Ojibwe. Uh, I don't know atheists who are Ojibwe. These happen to be Caucasian. And some of their misunderstandings of our message, some in, most in particular, have to do with our version of God's judgment. And, and I've thought about that a lot as to how we how we communicate the gospel, how, how the story includes uh, judgment. And it makes me cautious. It makes me cautious about, and I urge you to spend some time, since we can't tonight, spend some time thinking and talking with people who know how to be cautious about our use of, of hell and eternal punishment as the primary motivator, the primary threat, the primary reason for someone to, uh, to turn to Jesus. I have a pastor friend uh, who told me just a few weeks ago when we were talking about this, he said, I'm not sure what I would say to people if I don't, have, if, if I don't use the threat of eternal punishment as the main reason for becoming a Christian. I think that's, I think that's very sad. And uh, tomorrow evening, I hope to uh, spend some time with you thinking about how we can better represent or what what is a better message because I'll just say uh, in a very short way I don't think you'll find the apostles or Jesus threatening people with eternal punishment as a primary reason for submitting our lives to God. It, it, I'm not trying to reduce the message or, or water down the message. I know it's, it's, very, uh, it's considered very um, borderline heresy to, to reconsider the strong statements we make about hell and eternal punishment. But I think the part of what we what we might ask ourselves, are we stewards of judgment in the way that Jonah was? Uh, do, we, do we actually build our, our the, do, do we actually supplement, support, fuel our message by the message of judgment? And I know that's what God told him to say, but Jonah was a poor representation of God's character Jonah didn't accurately represent God's character to the people of Nineveh at all. 
And I don't know that I blame him, but he didn't. He represented the message of judgment, but when it came to a, a response of compassion, he couldn't cooperate with God. He could not cooperate with God because he was so intent on the, the rightness of the judgment message. He was so intent on the correctness. And he had heard God. He had heard God correctly. But he couldn't, his character couldn't align with God's sense of mission. His, his message, he couldn't realign his message with God's compassion and God's sense of mercy and redemption and reconciliation. He couldn't do it because he was so focused on the judgment message. So that's a caution. That's a caution that I want to leave with you, and I know it's time to wrap up because you've had all you could take, and I have probably exhausted myself pretty much anyway. But... I've got a lot, I'm not, I'm not nearly, I didn't nearly cover all that would make this flesh itself out well in, in your thinking. So I hope that you keep thinking about that. All I'm doing, I think the best I can do is, is help you be cautious and consider that Jonah's message, even though true, was not in sync with God's character. In, in the final analysis, and he ended up being angry at God for being compassionate. And I sometimes feel like saying to some of the people whose message of, of the, the, the extent of punishment in hell, who, when, when that message is the, is the main motivating, fueling message, I, I, I want to ask, Will you actually be disappointed if you find out that God is more gracious than, and compassionate with these people than, than you thought? Will you be angry if you find out that, that God actually punishes people according to their deeds, the way the scriptures say, instead of, instead of the way we typically tell the, the punishment message, everybody gets the same punishment? Have you ever heard a message about hell that talks about degrees of punishment? I haven't. The best we seem to know to do is to say that everybody gets the worst. And that's not what the scriptures say. I think you will find that in every case that, it, that punishment is mentioned, it includes the phrase word for word according to their deeds or something similar. And that is the justice of God, as I understand it. That means that punishment and reward will be exactly right and not one size fits all. So my atheist friends, this is one of the, this is one of the things that they, that they accuse Christians of. They say, you're God. That's not even a, he's not even a reasonably, it's not even reasonable to consider him a just God when that's his, his way. God's sense of judgment is highly suspect, if not completely unreasonable, they say. And maybe we give him good reason to say that. 
All I'm saying is, let's be cautious about that. Um, let's, not, let's not reject the idea of judgment, but it's not the foundation of our message. It's not the foundation of the gospel. It's not the basis on which we attract people is only by threat. And that's a huge topic, and people like Matt Schulter and Jeremy and all the other fine faculty will help you sort it out. Or if you want to communicate with me more about it, I'll tell you what I think sometime. But there's all I'm doing is stirring up your thinking and, and encouraging you to be cautious. There's a lot more to the gospel than that, and we'll talk about it tomorrow. It really is time to quit. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you found this episode helpful, please share so others can benefit from it as well. And be sure to check out our other podcasts at rosedale.edu slash podcasts.